Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to High Performance Manager at the Parramatta Eels in the NRL, Lachlan Wilmot. Thanks for tuning in to episode 185 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So it's been far too long since part one with Lachlan. Um, since then, he's moved from the GWS Giants as the strength and power coach to high performance manager at the Parramatta Eels in the NRL, which is uh, Australian Rugby League. So it's great to get Lachlan on and kind of revisit some of the stuff we spoke about a couple of years ago when we had the first episode of the podcast. So we discuss uh, the changeover from uh, AFL to NRL, as well as uh, speed development, his influences in terms of uh, developing speed with his rugby rugby guys. Um, a little bit about on the travel, massive difference between being a uh, AFL side in Sydney compared to a NRL side in Sydney. So that was a really interesting uh, interesting little scenario that we had a little chat about there. Also, uh, something that Lachlan's become really well known for, in term, which is the um, the hamstring injury prevention side of things or injury mitigation side of things. So we obviously uh, chat a lot about that because he's become uh, one of the go-to guys in the applied world for for the, on that topic. So really good episode with Lachlan, uh, and I'm sure you will. Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If you're trying to keep everything as guarded as possible, it doesn't really lead to you developing yourself or developing as a department. And to, to give you a better understanding of that, let's be 90% of the stuff I put out there on my personal Instagram, people will come back to me with variations, improvements, adjustments they've done. And most of the time, I steal those exercises, I steal those ideas, and I'm like, that's fantastic. So my development has skyrocketed, not just from me putting stuff out there to help others, but people coming back to me and starting that discussion. But just before we do get into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't heard of Vald Performance, they are the guys behind the Nordboard, the groin bar and the all new human track. So if you haven't heard of either of them three products, visit valdeperformance.com uh, or follow them on Twitter at valdeperformance. So their all new human track system is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs worn on both wrists and both ankles. So Human Track has been initially validated against the gold standard in Vicon with some really positive initial results with some more to come which will be openly available via the Valve Performance website when they do become available. So if you like I said if you are interested in getting to know about any of them three products visit valveperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at valveperformance. Also sponsoring this episode today is Force Decks. So big thanks to Force Decks for their continued support of the podcast. And if you are looking for a force plate hardware and software solution, visit forcedex.com. But also have a little look at episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So that's at strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, where co-owner of Forstec, Dr. Daniel Cohen, goes into a lot of detail with regards to all aspects of jump monitoring. Um, it's certainly not a sales pitch for Forstec, 
but you can get a real understanding of the capability and ease of use of Forstex uh, as re with regards to the, the software. So if you are interested, Forstex.com is their website and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. So without further ado, over to the episode with Lachlan Wilmot. Lachlan, welcome to a part two of the Pace Performance Podcast. Thanks for giving me time to come. Thank you very much, mate. It's a privilege to come on a second time. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm as interesting if I was at all before. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. So th things have changed. A couple of things have changed since last time. Um, just want to give us a little bit of an update. Yeah, definitely. Well, for those of you that uh, that don't know, I've, I've, uh, I've probably spent the past eight years or better part of eight years at uh, the GWS Giants AFL uh, team here in Sydney, Australia. I was the uh, one of the athletic performance coaches there, predominantly in the strength and power area. And um, and as of a couple of months ago, I took up the role of um, head of athletic performance at the Parramatta Eels, which is actually a, a rugby league team. So um, two completely different sports. I know, uh, especially in the US, a lot of people think it's just the same thing, but um, but they're certainly very different. Um, so it's been a, a really good challenge, mate. It's, uh, it's been something that uh, I've been yeah, looking to spread the wings a little bit more and try something new. And uh, this is definitely satisfying that area. Nice. So what was the what was the, your background before GWS? Just want to give us a little brief rundown. Yeah, certainly. So before I was at uh, GWS, most of my my background was AFL. I was uh, with the, the state academies prior to that for a couple of years, and also worked with the the AIS AFL squad, which was a, a youth all Australian development squad. Um, and then prior to that, mate, I was uh, I was a, a personal trainer at the the local fitness first for quite a few years as well. So um, I've uh, I've definitely gone from Gen Pop to the youth to athletes, back to youth athletes, and then into senior athletes. So had a had a very nice uh, progression year a year and this is just another stage of the the journey mate and i'm really looking forward to to sinking in for a little bit longer nice so what are the when you got into the rugby league environment what were the first things that hit you with the with the dif different differentiators between the two yeah look it's um Apart from the obvious, like I mean, AFL is a very aerobic-based sport. It's a long game. There's a lot of lighter bodies that are that are very you know high-speed orientated, and, and a lot of the the impacts are to a lesser degree. There's still some big impacts, but there was very 360 um, orientation, somewhat like soccer or football for for you guys over there. Um, but NRL is very much um, it's a little bit more predictable. But the, the impacts are far greater in nature. They're just face-to-face, -face, big hits, hit after hit. Um, it's a shorter game uh, and it, it's certainly more of a, you know, every game's got their aerobic um, uh, part to it, but it is somewhat much more of an, an anaerobic sport in, in their, their repeat efforts, the, the ground time getting up and down, the repeated efforts of, of impacts and, and stuff like that. So um, the, the, the first thing that's obviously the, the most standout is the, the physical difference of the players. Um, but then coming in, there's obviously mate, there's, there's, there's some cultural differences. There's there's um, there's little tweaks here and there, and um, in regards to systems and what people have previously done and everything like that. But um, but at the end of the day, mate, it's still still professional team sport, um, and it's a, a high performance setting. So there's probably more similarities than there are differences. But it's it's definitely those little nuances of differences that um, that you need to get your head around almost immediately to make sure that um, that you can adapt to the environment you've been put in. Of course. So one thing I'd like to get your um, experience on and just get insight into is your work under David Joyce at the Giants. And one thing that always comes across to me is that 
you know, obviously the two podcasts that I've done with him and obviously other members of staff as well, is that he really encourages you guys to put yourselves out there and, and you know, showcase the, the kind of work that you're doing through podcasts and articles and, and that kind of thing, which doesn't always, it's not always the case with people, maybe people in his position who are, you know, not generalization, but sometimes quite guarded and not wanting to share what they do. But uh, DJ seems completely opposite to that. He wants you to put yourselves out there. Yeah, mate, hundred um, percent. Yeah, I, I owe a lot of my career to, to David and the way he's he's pushed me and progressed me with a lot of things, and also been open for my development and and went out of his way to make sure that you know I was growing and it wasn't just this this secluded group within our Giants department that um, that you know did everything we could internally, but never actually looked at progressing ourselves because you know, a lot of people are like that. I understand that our industry can be like that, and, and sometimes it's it's not the performance department that's like that. Often it, it can be the, the head coach or the football manager or the, the club policy that, that you're not to share anything, you're not to be a public figure or anything like that. And, and from our perspective, it becomes hard because for every, you know, every time an individual develops themselves, they, they add to the collective of that department. So every time I improve myself, I'd like to think that I improved our department, therefore our football club. Every time Joycey improves himself, he improves our department and again improves our football club so he, he definitely had the philosophy of you know each individual's improving each individual's adding to themselves and as a collective we we then strive and build ourselves up as well so he um yeah you know, there's a couple of couple of uh, staff members that used to get emails with job opportunities that might have been overseas or anything and, and initially you're sort of like oh well, is he is he giving me a hint to tell me that um he wants me to leave he wants me to take another job but it, it genuinely is his way of just saying look i'd be shattered to lose you but I know that I can't keep you, you know, under under this department forever because ultimately they need everyone needs to grow and and I'm not I'm not going to say that I would have gotten stale if I had stayed around. There's there's no doubt I would have still been inspired and motivated to do everything I needed to do. But from his perspective, he could think of nothing worse than than someone getting stale in that environment and then all it does is is actually pulls back from the the department. So when there's people that need to grow and move on, he's all for it and he wants to support it. He he obviously doesn't want to lose people, but I think the overpowering feeling of trying to develop everyone surpasses that desire to try and keep the department together for the next you know 10 years five years whatever it might be so um, he was a he was a big supporter of mine with this and in fact I probably wasn't in the headspace I, I wasn't going to do it um, but he was he was actually the one that told me I should um, in in the most polite way yeah not saying that I'm not loved there and to kick me out but but he certainly was one of the big um big advocates of it and and really supported me with it so I really you know, I owe a lot to him for it so one thing that interests me and it's something that's I've spoken privately to people and a couple of times in the podcast with with people as well is the and you might be able to, um tell me I'm wrong but the GWS performance staff were the, probably the first performance staff to get a Twitter account of their own and share the stuff that you <laughs> yes. were doing internally what what was the yeah. thinking behind that? What was the thinking behind that? And who came up with that? Yeah, it's funny. Like, that was, look, um, prior to that occurring, uh, we were all, you know, dabbling in, in uh, social media, probably Joycey's far far more than the rest of us with his uh, Twitter following. But um, he, he certainly came up with the idea for us to try and, you know, promote a little bit around what we do and put some information out there. And <clears throat> it's... <laughs> It's funny, we were probably very similar in our thought pattern. Like, I mean, the reason I started 
any social media was, the fact that I thought, you know, if, if I was a young coach, what would I have wanted to know and what would I have wanted to see? So everything that I put out is always answering that one question. Is this something that I would have wanted to see as a young coach? So if there's good job opportunities, I'll put it out there. If there's interesting exercises that I think people might benefit from, I'll put it out there. If there's interesting, you know, uh, sayings or quotes or information pieces, I'll put it out there, all based off the fact that if I was a young coach, that's what I would have wanted to see. Um, the, the the Twitter account for the Giants and a lot of the social media stuff that, that we put out for the Giants and, you know, what they're going to continue to do um, now is, is based off the fact that we really don't believe that there's all that many secrets in professional sport. And at the end of the day, if you're trying to keep everything as guarded as possible, it doesn't really lead to you developing yourself or developing as a department. And to to give you a better understanding of that, let's be 90% of the stuff I put out there on my personal Instagram, people will come back to me with variations, improvements, adjustments they've done. And most of the time, I steal those exercises, I steal those ideas, and I'm like, that's fantastic. So my development has skyrocketed, not just from me putting stuff out there to help others, but people coming back to me and starting that discussion. And a big belief we had at the Giants is it doesn't matter if people steal a, a squat variation or steal a plyometric option that we're doing because our solemn belief was they still don't know how it fits into an entire program and how we use use it from a more acute level. And, and that was something we backed ourselves. We said, we're, we believe we can do this better than a lot of people and we're going to keep sticking to it. We're happy to share a lot with people knowing that no one's ever going to be really able to replicate what we have. And even if they can, how does that affect us? How does that change what we do and how we progress? And we, we almost use it as a bit of a, a progressive tool where it's like, well, you know, we put this out and everyone started to, to do X, Y, and Z. So we need to make sure that we keep developing. So what, what next can we do? How do we improve that? How do we develop that a little bit more? Um, so we probably used it as a bit of a internal driving force for us to just keep bettering ourselves and, and keep driving, um, you know, our standards and, and what we want to do with our, with our department. What, were the, what was the club's stance on it from a uh, global club essence? Yeah, look, we, look, we never put it out there like it was, look at this player because he's a, a celebrity or he's a famous player. It was always based off specifics around an exercise, a methodology, whatever it might be. So so when I was there, the club had no issue with it at all. Um, now, obviously, I'm not there, so I can't comment on on where they sit currently. Um, but, um, yeah, previous to that, I, I know they've, they've never really had an issue because realistically we're not, we're not spruiking, oh, this is the latest and greatest secret that one of our star players is using. Um, so it's not about advertising the player or the staff status of the player or putting pressure on the player. It's simply a, a methodology or a, or a movement or an exercise that, that we're currently using for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Did, did it encourage people, more people, to visit the club when they were in Sydney and share, you know, present to you guys and share and that kind of thing? It, it certainly opens more doors, 100% it does. It's... Um, and rightly or wrongly, it depends what type of person you are, mate. Some people can't stand having people connect with them over social media and they find it a burden. I, I must admit, over the past couple of years, there's been probably more and more people that do message me. And I've always I've always said that I, I've, I always want to write back to everyone, but um, but sometimes it just starts to build up. It takes a little bit of time. So it's about blocking your time out. You know, once, once every fortnight, I block out an hour just to reply to everyone I can. And then I, I don't look at it for another two weeks and then I go again because if, if you're opening it every 
every single day and trying to reply. It just takes up most of your time. But um, the, the Giants are probably a bit the same where you, you, when you open yourself up socially and you, you're quite open, people have a greater connection to you and they, they certainly feel like they can they can ask more of you. So we certainly had a lot of requests about coming. Um, and at the end of the day, just this was about systems and making sure that we um, – we were quite stringent in in how we organise the people coming in because we don't we don't want to just push everyone away. But at the end of the day, it's a professional club that that has a has a job to do day to day and can't just be a, a tourist site. Um, so so Joyce was really good at developing a bit of a um, a ruling around you know people that were from professional clubs that could. Um, present to us and improve our department. We would try and get them in for one day, and they would they would present to our department as a as a gift to you know excel us and develop us. Now that helps the department. Um, when it comes to people that were younger or up and coming coaches, we didn't want to block them out and say no. So we we developed what was called the immersion program. So they would actually, for one week every month, we would have one person in. Now, the concept behind that was basically they, um, uh, Joycey believed that people that come in for one day can can take things uh, out of context and you often don't see how that day or that session fits into the whole week. So he wanted to make sure if someone was coming in that they understood how that day, that session would fit into an entire week plan. So they would come in for the entire week leading up to the game and then watch the game. So it gave them a really good contextual image of what we did and why we did it. Um, so we would block out one week every month um, and Mick Byers, the, the strength rehab coach there, would manage that and and a fee, I, I reckon we were booked out a year ahead anyway and I, I would be shocked if it's anything different currently. I believe they're probably booked out now as well. Nice. Sweet. Well, it's, like, like I say, it's something that I've discussed with a couple of people. I can't see any, as long as it's managed correctly, I can't see any downside for clubs not to do that kind of thing. Um, I think you did a you guys did a great job. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it is one hundred percent sitting on the head coach, in my opinion, because if the head coach doesn't want anything like that, then then of course that's just the way it is. You're not you're not going to put anything out. You're not going to push it out there. Um, I, I think the concept of a couple of you know, older school coaches, and I, I use that term loosely because I'm sure other co- young coaches probably think as well. But it it's certainly you don't want to be a distraction from what you do or detract from what you do. But I think it's ridiculous that people think that just because you put things up that you're you're distracted or detracted from what you do or how you do your job. Because <clears throat> at the end of the day, if you're a good coach, you have good systems. And social media stuff is exactly the same. It's just a system. It's, you know, I use my phone for videoing quite a bit for feedback for players on all levels from in the gym to on the field. So naturally, I have a lot of video on my phone. Um, I will, you know, I will always check with my players. So if a, if a player features in a video, I'll always ask them, are you, are you happy for me to put this online? And to be honest, most of them love it. They love getting tagged in it. They love <laughs> like promoting it. And to be honest, I send a lot of videos to my players because they want to put it up on their Instagram. So um, I don't think it's an issue for the players providing you're not, you know, there's, there's just certain areas, that, you know, if you're, you've got someone in, in rehab, you, you're certainly not going to post early rehab and say, you know, this player's doing this, they're going to dominate, there's no way they're going to injure themselves again because of this. Like it's, it's just common sense in my opinion, but um, I know a lot of people out there probably feel like if they put something on Instagram then they're distracted or detracted from what they're doing. But mate, if you, if, 
if you're a if you're a intelligent man that can set some good systems up, I don't think it's ever going to distract or detract from what you do. You just got to make sure you're not sitting on Instagram in the middle of a session posting uh, instead of actually coaching. But I think if you've got accumulated videos and you you get home on a Friday afternoon and you sit at the computer and go, you know what, this is something that I think people can really learn from, and you post the video, you write a couple of comments to explain you know your methods, why that might help people, mate. I think it's great for the industry personally. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So the move from AFL to rugby league. So tell us. I mean, you've had, obviously we've had a little chat about some uh, main differences between the two sports, but culturally and in terms of what you brought over from AFL, what are the what are the biggest things that have changed, uh, or you've had to change in the way you think about certain things? What are the biggest things that you've had to change um, in that in that transition? Maybe some examples. Yeah. Look, of of not just changing sports, to be honest, if, if you had to compare changing sports or changing roles, I think the biggest difference is my changing of roles. That's probably got more polar opposites to what I used to do rather than the actual sport because if I was to look at the department setup, if I was to look at the roles of each of the people in the department, if I match Giants with with Parramatta, they're, they're very similar. You know, the strength and power coach takes care of the strength and power within the gym. Where conditioning coach takes care of the conditioning. Where our physios work with the with the uh, with the athletes in regards to a lot of their injury management. And yeah, you know, we have our head physio, we have assistant physio, we have people that look after rehab. We still have a sports scientist. That they're, they're all very similar roles. Um, me going from the, the the guy that ran the gym, wrote all the strength and power programs, managed that area, to then now going into my boss's role, which is now people management and obviously athlete management, (coughs) that's probably the biggest difference. So um, for me, it's been a very um, (coughs) interesting change and it's exactly what I wanted for for my own development and progression. And and my, my biggest probably example I can give in regards to the change is I've actually made a real conscious effort not to be in the gym so much so I don't fall into the the old school Lockie Wilmot of just coaching on the gym floor when there's there's my head strength coach there that manages it all anyway. So Nathan Butel does a great job in the gym at Parramatta and I've got to leave him to do his job um, <clears throat> and I find myself stuck in probably the, the coach's offices much more than what I was when I was at the Giants because yeah, that's what, what Joycey did. He would, he would filter a lot of things down down from the coaches to, to me and then vice versa. Um, now, obviously, at, at Parramatta, I entrust my strength coach, my conditioning coach, which is Nathan Parnham. I think quite a lot of people know who Nathan Parnham is anyway. Um, and and they do a lot of the implementation. And just the same way that, that, that David worked with me in regards to, you know, it was my strength and power program at the Giants, but, you know, I had his fingerprints over it. I've always liked that that analogy. And, and I must admit, I probably take a very similar philosophy at Parramatta. I, I really make sure that the, the coaches that are working for me are, are implementing what they believe and their structures and their program and they're running it, but I'll have my fingerprints over it and I'll adjust and change when needed. So um, it's it's probably been – that's probably been my challenge to try and just have the confidence and guts just to leave it to, to my staff to manage a lot of things with me more overseeing the total aspect of it. So um, I think the, the integrated nature of the Giants where I actually worked with the physios quite closely with a lot of things has given me a really good skill set to be able to bring to Parramatta and be able to communicate with the physios as well, not just be a, you know, a, a traditional strength coach of lift, lift, lift. At, at least I've got a little bit of understanding across the entire department – 
And the next skill set that's really just you know skyrocketed for me has been just the the coach interaction and and you know a, a big role that I've had in the preseason has been not only selling systems and ideas to coaches and and speaking their language, but but selling systems and ideas to the players because um, the the players previously probably haven't had as much. Um, education around what and why they do things. So that's been something that I've really tried to focus on with the boys and and bring a lot of that you know, know-how to them. So when they're doing things out on the field, they're not asking questions. They've already been explained to them why they're doing it and what it's going to help them with and, and why we're actually going to do X, Y, and Z leading into this game or X, Y, and Z leading into this preseason week. So um, I think the, the biggest change has been actually stepping out of the gym and suddenly now having a lot more conversation with players about their entire structure and program and, and a lot more conversations with staff from organising Pilates sessions to dietitian requirements to budgeting through to the physio realm, making sure communicating with coaches. So I think um, I've, uh, I've definitely got a lot more on my plate in regards to the areas that I've got to be into and I can't really sink my teeth in as deep as I did when I was obviously you know, head of strength and power. So um, that, that's probably been the biggest challenge for me and like I said, the, the similarity between you know, uh, Giants and Parramatta is probably quite large when you look at the actual club setup and the department setup but the biggest difference, as I said, is, is really been my, my change in roles. I think it's a really interesting one when people step up to that kind of head role because they do, in, in this scenario, obviously, in the gym all the time, doing a really good job, and they go, okay, I want to progress, but my progression is him up there. And they look to him and go, okay, perfect, I want to make that jump to a head role. And then, But that head role is something completely different to what they've become really good at for the last 10 years. And it's, um, but often people see that kind of management as the the pinnacle and they get there and it's like, oh, fucking hell, I'm not doing what I have been really good at for the last 10 years and become a bit of a, a kind of an expert in, in, my, in my club. So it's an interesting one that, um, that obviously you have different skill sets. Yes, you are that guy in the gym for the last 10 years and done a really good job. But there's certain things that have developed in that time that enabled a good head of performance to, which obviously you are, to, to make that jump and, and do really well. And you know, leave that it's, kind of gym yeah. stuff behind, but take some, take the the good bits out, and be that be that head guy. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think it comes back to a lot of the department setups as well because there are a lot of a lot of clubs out there that like if you're the strength guy, you're the strength guy. That's all you do. You sit in the gym, you do just strength. Now, don't get me wrong, that at the Giants, that was what I was being judged on. Like if the if the boys weren't if they were getting injured in the gym, if the boys weren't strong, they weren't powerful. It's the buck stops with me. It's got to. But by the same token, jo- Joyce was very big on making sure that that people had understandings of every area. So the integration I had with the physio department, the discussions I had with the dietitians, the discussions I had with Joycey, the, you know, the, the, the meetings that I'd have around conditioning, on-field stuff, speed work, everything like that, it's although you've still got your role and your patch of grass you've got to look after, I think it's really important in a, in a department structure like that, that that you do expose all of your your coaches, whatever their specialty is, across the field so they, they don't just get ingrained in that way area because you're spot on when they when they need to take that next step if they want to and look I'm going to be honest being a, a high performance manager or an athletic performance manager isn't the be all and end all it, do, it doesn't mean that you've like that's not always the next 
step or next progression. And to be brutally honest, a couple of years ago, I, I didn't even know if that's what I wanted to do because for me, coaching was what I loved. I really, I loved connecting with athletes on the gym floor. I loved t- taking them through, you know, from weak to strong, from slow to fast. That, that was what my passion was and that'll never change. That's still my passion. But for me, it was then something that I realized for my own development, regardless of if I enjoyed it or not, it's something for me in Australia that I'd love to have the challenge of jumping into it and seeing what it's all about and sinking my teeth into it to know that I, I can tick that box. You know, in three years, if I decide to move into private sector or 10 years, whatever it is, for me, it's like, you know what, I've done that and I've had that challenge and I've really sunk my teeth into it and I've enjoyed it. But regardless of what you do, mate, and regardless of what I do over the next 10 years, the, the gym floor with athletes, one to one or one to 10, just, just that lifting side of it will always always be my passion, will always be where I'll end up going to. I think even even with my current facility, I've got a private facility, Athletes Authority, and that's a whole nother kettle of fish for me, learning business structures, budget, staffing, everything there. So that's been a great challenge as well. But that that doesn't mean I, I, even when I'm 50, um, I would be, I'd be shocked if I wasn't on the gym floor doing something with, with someone because it'll always be my passion, mate. As always, just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Lachlan. I hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we discuss Lachlan's influences when it comes to speed training and his philosophy on that topic as well. And we also have a little chat around Lachlan's most influential books, which is something that I've neglected to ask the last couple of guests. And my apologies for that, because I know how popular that how popular that section is with listeners because people like to know what uh, experts in the field are actually reading and what's influencing them at the minute. But just before we do get into part two with Lachlan, I just want to say a massive thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box Fitness are a specialist gym equipment provider based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So all equipment is made and manufactured in Belfast and distributed all over the world, from Australia to the Middle East, to obviously over the water, to, uh, to England, Scotland and Wales. So Black Box Fitness can be found on Twitter at BLK Box Fitness and online at blkboxfitness.com. So if you're interested in a full gym fit out or just little bits and bobs to keep you going, make sure you consider the guys at Black Box Fitness. Uh, I'm sure they will um, they'll look after you. So over to part two with Lachlan. Uh, hope you enjoy and I'll chat to you soon. Well, while we're uh, while you've brought that up, let's have a little chat around athletes' uh, authority. So, why why did you why did you set that up, and when the hell do you get time to do it? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people ask me that, and to be honest, mate, there's not a chance in hell I would be able to do it if it wasn't for my business partner, Carl. He um, he's a, a, a sensational business partner. He's full time with it. He's actually the, the founder of it. So, long story short, Carl and Carl and I met a few years ago through the industry, um, and he's a, he's a very passionate guy. He's a very passionate man around, um, you know, probably more the mental side of things more than the coaching. He he really loved that mental side of athletes and 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 the intricacies of, of mindset and everything like that and over the past couple of years he's been some become somewhat of an expert around the business structures as well he's he's loved all the business side of things and really sunk his teeth into that so um we we met a couple of years ago and i saw the slow evolution of his gym from a from a just an open pt facility um into a bigger facility that that started to, to focus on a couple of athletes with a bit of power lifters in there as well and 
And um, at the same time, this is, you know, when I was still at the Giants, I was, I've always had that sort of back backhead dream of thinking, you know what, private sector is probably something I'll, I'll always end up in. And, and I really think um, as much as I love having an influence over professional athletes, the, the influence that we can have over those youth athletes, which realistically, if you're in a private facility, a majority of your, your athletic population are, are most likely going to be youth to amateur athletes because the professionals obviously are already taken care of in their, in their teams. But um, it was something that I've always thought that, that the influence you can have at you know, a 13-year-old, 14-year-old is, is far greater sometimes than what you might be able to have as a, as a professional athlete. It's already 25, already got a lot of systems and habits in place. So um, it, it did excite me to think of, of working with a lot of youth athletes and that. So um, was, to be honest, we were just out having a drink and chatting and, and um, at the time, coincidentally, he had a, he had a sort of a, a business partner that came on board, not, um, not really real passionate about the industry, but it was a job to do. And then he decided to actually move back to the States and and uh, and Carl was moving into a sole trader. And I said, well, mate, would you consider bringing on another partner? And, um, and he said, mate, it depends who it is. And obviously, he was more than happy to, to bring me on. And and um, Athletes Authority, as it is now, was sort of born. We we took a real strong stance to say, well, you know what, we, we really are just going to focus on our athletic population. And we have our three streams at the facility. We have our, our athletic um, performance department or our APD, which is um, all our you know, team sport and track and field and individual athletes that don't use barbells. We then have our powerlifting community, which obviously are powerlifters, and we have our Olympic weightlifting community, which are obviously are Olympic weightlifters. So we have our three streams and we have our specialist coaches in all of those streams, and um, it's, it's been fantastic, mate. It's, it's one of those weird things that everyone keeps telling you where well, you can't have a gym without having some gen pop in there, and I totally agree, and we certainly do have some gen pop, but um, it's funny that we, we probably had a bit of an identity crisis the first couple of months trying to work out, like, do we just offer it to athletes? Are we, are we then going to use the old slogan, well, everyone's an athlete, blah, blah, blah. And it just, you just, it gets lost, it gets confused. People don't really know who you are, what you want to do. So we've, um, we've really like sharpened up who we target, what we're about. And it's real simple. We are for, for athletes that need to go to the next level. And that's how we sell it, mate. And our, our growth has been exponential ever since we, we really matched our identity with what we wanted to do. And We've had some really, really good testimonials, some good progress from um, amateur all the way to elite athletes, which has been fantastic. And, and to be honest, over the past couple of months, we've really um, enjoyed our mentorship program as well. We sort of undenied about starting a mentorship program for, for other coaches. Obviously, I'm very passionate about developing other coaches and, and we thought, oh, we better make sure that it's absolutely perfect. We really need to build this out, make sure it's 100%. And um, we sort of just went with the opinion after a, a few business consults that if you wait things are perfect you just you never start you never do it so we went screw it let's get it out there so we uh, we started a nine-month mentorship program we're straight off the bat and and work with the coaches in there we got 45 in there straight off the bat which was fantastic so um each month it's an online mentorship and each month they come into athletes authority and we do a, a face-to-face seminar and they ask questions we, we we give them presentations we go through anything's needed we're there to support
support them. Carl goes through all of the business and marketing and developing your niche and knowing what you're about. And, and I go through all the, the coaching and the, you know, the, the practical how-tos and stuff like that. And mate, we've, we've worked really well. We're, we're very different people. Um, everyone tells me that uh, Carl and me are probably the most opposite of humans you'll ever come across, but I think that's probably what works <laughs> so well for us. So um, very yin and yang when it comes to our setup. But um, yeah, we've just, we've had enough demand for our mentorship program. So we opened up for another 20, 20 people and we ended up filling it straight away and we actually ended up taking on 23. So that's about to start this month as well. So it's um, it's really exciting at the moment. The, the education side is probably just as profitable for us as our actual facility and, and coaching. So it's um, it's been exciting, but yeah, my my involvement is not even a drop in the ocean compared to what Carl does there. Um, he drives pretty much everything. My main main my main role there is to work with our our uh, coaches and make sure that they're they're yeah supported and giving giving everything they need to give and obviously um, producing the the content slash programming style that we want. Um, and then obviously from an education point of view, I'm uh, I'm within the mentorship there, which which realistically requires my one day attendance per month um, and the rest can really be done online with a lot of questions so um, although it is a it, it certainly is another another thing on my plate it um, if it wasn't for Carl there's no way I could even consider doing what I do but uh, it's been no, it's been really good been really fun how interested are you are you in the business side of things like you said about moving back to that kind of um, that kind of environment maybe in the future how, how, how much does that interest you Look, it certainly interested me from a point of view of oh, I love to be a, a business owner and, and develop something great. Um, that's, that's something that myself and Carl are really focused on, really saying this is this is going to be our legacy. This is something big that we want to build. Um, <coughs> there's no denying Carl's head is much more business-minded than mine. He, uh, he certainly explains a few things a couple of times to me to make sure I understand it. But, um, but yeah, I certainly am not as passionate as Carl is when it comes to that backroom business style things. And when we talk about, I've only recently learned what a click funnel is and things like that. But um, I'm certainly, I'm getting there. Um, but uh, a simple answer is I, I enjoy being involved in it, but it'll certainly never be my passion. My passion will always be coaching, working with coaches, working with athletes, and, and that's my strength and that's what I love to do. Um, I'm really enjoying upskilling myself around the concept of business and, and just little tweaks that, that we make and I see the changes and it's it's quite interesting. Like I said, it was it's funny how um, such a simple thing as knowing your identity as a as a company can change so much because you hear it all the time. Like, look, I did business studies when I was in high school, and they talk about companies knowing their identity, and you sort of just wave it off and go, well, of course, you obviously need to know what you're about. But um, you know, when when you, you think you know what you're about until you sit down and really nut it out and find out, well, who you're targeting and why. Um, it's, it's amazing to see the change in, in uh, the influx of coaches and athletes when you just start portraying exactly what you, you're about. And things like that I found very interesting, but there's no doubt it'll never replace my passion for coaching. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Well, let's, let's bring it back to that then. And whether you've been conscious about doing it, you've become – um, associated with hamstrings, hamstring injuries, uh, injury prevention on that side, on that side of things. Um, how has that philosophy changed in terms of um, mitigating hamstring injury risk from the AFL days to the 
to the rugby league days to obviously the rugby league current day and you know different athlete profiles and how the game changed how's your philosophy on that changed if at all yeah it's um yeah in a very simple response i don't know if it has really changed all that much because you know i've I've certainly got my my principles that um that i believe in that i follow and and i've certainly brought that over to Parramatta um with with the way we train a lot of our players um again that that's where i start to put my fingerprints on the strength program and and intertwine and that's something you know we've when i arrived they had a nord board there anyway so that was that was something they were used to looking at and using um so that was that was great for me so it wasn't something i needed to have this huge sell on um we've certainly um brought over a little bit more of the the um, isolated hamstring work as much as we can whether that be from a a nordic or razor position all the way through to just basic slide curls and stuff like that um and also my philosophy around you know exposing players to high speed running as consistently as possible and obviously gabbits been pushing a lot of the acute to chronic workload ratio workout now associated with sprinting as well, not just your classic, um, you know, kilometres run or RPE load per week. So there's been some great research around that. And and obviously the, the Queensland hamstring group keep pushing out more and more research um, that they've got as well. And and it's been great to see the the progression of that. And, um, you know, I've, I definitely, I wrote the article around the, the distal and proximal approach of hamstring training and still something that I believe in and I push and there's been a couple of studies that have started to show that you know the different different uh, muscle groups that are involved in the the distal aspect or the, the proximal aspect so it's been great to see those things transfer and be able to be you know more targeted with the way we do a lot of our hamstring rehab but um I would probably say that my philosophy hasn't changed at all from AFL to NRL. The implementation is going to be a little bit different simply because our NRL boys simply just don't have the, A, the volume, but the high-speed meters that they'll run in games that the AFL boys will do. Um, the, the NRL boys certainly don't have to sprint and then suddenly kick. Obviously, there's an occasional player that will need to, need to put a kick in on the NRL field, but unlike AFL, he's usually not running at max pace and then have to to kick so that's something that um that that from a injury prevention standpoint um hamstrings are probably a little bit more of an importance in afl but that's not to say we haven't had hamstring issues with a lot of our players previous years there's a couple of boys especially our our high speed boys that have suffered hamstring injuries in their career so that's been great to to really implement a couple of my my principles in there and and do the best we can to try and mitigate um as much hamstrings as we can we're never going to stop everything as you know and as every coach should knows um but we've we've done really well to to bring it in and i think done a good job of of bringing in the principles and philosophies of it without having this huge pendulum swing of suddenly all these nrl boys doing a whole heap of hamstring work left right and center and to be honest that'll cause more issues than not because they'll be sore they'll be complaining and and you end up putting too much load through them that they're not used to and and you really do spike that that um ratio a little bit too much so um oh, I haven't changed my philosophies or principles. I've evolved a lot and, and found new ways of, of putting more loads in through isometric components, through eccentric components, but um, but I've certainly tried to implement as much as I can that's been applicable to the NRL setting that, uh, that I've obviously developed over at the Giants. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's really, or seems really obvious, uh, and I'll have to thank uh, Tan Scott for pulling this up because I'm not completely aware of the geography of, of where teams are based, but... The obvious thing is 
between the two that you don't travel way as much as you did in Sydney with uh, with GWS. And with regards to programming, has that certainly not my has that changed anything with regards to what you do and how you do it from a, on a week to week basis? Um, yeah, to be honest, I nearly fell over when I saw the travel schedule. It was unbelievable. <laughs> it, um, it, it's and the funny thing is, we play at a we play at the old Sydney Olympic Stadium, which is called now called ANZ Stadium here in Sydney. Um, and <clears throat> in the NRL, a few teams share that same ground, so um, they even even some of our away games are at our home stadium. So um, I think by memory, I think we played fourteen of our twenty five or sixteen of our twenty five. At ANZ, um, so and of that, there's three three flights that we have to undertake for the for the whole um, uh, the whole schedule. So coming from the Giants, where we used to fly to Canberra, and that was a home game, um, <laughs> it's it's very different, very different indeed. So I must admit, my my girlfriend's uh, probably appreciate appreciating that a little bit more than I am. <laughs> She's uh, very happy to have me home a little bit more, but um, yeah, it. It probably doesn't change the the programming structure too much because the the scheduling's a little bit different anyway with the way we do it. Like we're at the Giants, we were, for example, if we played Saturday, we would get our first lift in on that Monday, that G plus two. And being such a running orientated sport, and I'm so, sure soccer's the same. I've never worked in soccer, but um, people I've spoken to very similar that they can they can get a pretty good upper body lift on that G plus two or the the, the Monday coming out of a Saturday game. Um, in NRL, we find that it's much harder to do because they have the leg load of of running and driving, but they also have the upper body load of just getting. And you, depending on who you are, some of our one of our boys got up to fifty tackles in a game. So um, that, that's a that's a lot of impacts to the upper body. And and the next day, like they're they're pulling up really well, but you'd be kidding yourself to think they're going to max out on bench press or bench pull or anything like that. So what I've probably found is is the travel schedule certainly doesn't change a lot of the the planning. Um, it it. Again, I'm interested to see whether the fatigue will come in throughout the season as much as we probably saw at the Giants from travelling. Um, but it's certainly the the game itself is very different in the way they pull up from it. So I've noticed our um, our loading structures throughout the week for for weights and everything like that is actually different to what I would have had at at, at an AFL club. Nice, superb. Um... One thing, one last thing, I want to ask you, um, and it came from my chats with Ian McKeow at, at Port, and I know you, you guys, you guys know each other. And that's come from uh, on the speed training aspect. What, what kind of, and, and again, it's something that you've become, um, whether you like it or not, or done on purpose, uh, kind of, kind of known for um, influences when it comes to, to speed training. Who are the, who are the guys that you look to out there when it comes to, when it comes to that aspect of training? Yeah, I'm certainly no expert when it comes to the the other people out there when it comes to speed training. Like your your people like Derek Hansen, obviously the big dogs of Charlie Francis and Bosch and and people like that um, far surpass any of my knowledge around um, uh, track and field or speed training. But but what I like to think that um, I I probably pride myself on is is being able to take a lot of the the speed work or those speed principles and implement them into team sports because whether you like it or not, they're very different athletes. Um, Running fast is still running fast, but selling speed training to team sport athletes is somewhat very different and being able to relate to them why they're doing this isolated speed training when in a a game they're never going to 
open up like this or, you know, they're never going to be at max velocity because they're a key forward and stuff like that to, to teach them and upskill them the reasoning behind why we expose them to these these running loads and, and mechanical positions is something that I, I like to think that I've really taken under my wing and, and tried to be, you know, one of my strengths. Um, but in regards to influences of that, like my previous high-performance manager at the Giants when I first started there was a guy called John Quinn. Um, he is a, an Australian track and field coach and he's he's got a really strong reputation here for working with some great athletes and and he was always a big believer that AFL players are to be trained like 400 meter runners um, and, and he was probably one of the ones that introduced me to a lot of the the more athletic movements around contrast training in the gym uh, plyometric work making sure that you know the barbell's not the answer for everything and and getting our boys to be just genuinely athletic in everything they do and that's probably something that stuck with me for a long time so so my biggest influence would have to be be Quinny with that because he, he was the one that got me started on probably my love of plyometrics and, and integrating that track and field work into team sports. Um, the next one from that, like people like Stu McMillan have been unbelievable with the, the stuff that they post. I'm a big fan of everything that he teaches and, and looks at. Franz Bosch came out and spent some time at the Giants, so I learned a lot of him there and, and his principles and books anyway. Charlie Francis, I'm also a big big fan of. I've, I've seen and watched a lot of his products, obviously, never got the opportunity to learn from him personally um, but then people like Derek Hansen and, and Dan Paff as well mate they're, they're the, the modern day ones that are really implementing a lot of really just true speed stuff and and I like to think that I take a lot of their principles and, and use it in a, a team sport environment. Now true purists would probably say a lot of the stuff I do is a, a bastardised version of probably what a lot of track and field people do but at the end of the day team sport is a, a bastardised athletic program mate it, it is gritty and and players need to not only run fast but they need to get hit they need to change direction they're, they're not always going to look perfect when they do things so one of my my biggest philosophies with with our team sport training when it comes to speed work is I'm not looking to take a 22 year old team sport athlete and make it make them run super quick or super faster than what they currently do I'm looking for them to be able to utilize their current speed in a safe manner because what I see with a lot of team sport athletes is, is they might have speed in them, but they set themselves up for failure because they, they do these high-speed meters. A, they haven't been practicing them. Uh, they haven't been exposed in the week to them, but B, they just have really poor mechanics in the way they, they actually produce their speed. So one of the big things that I, I look at is sort of twofold. One exposing these athletes to high speed, simple as that, making sure that we are running fast at appropriate times so so we can get them adapted to it. And often those players that are, are super fast don't do a lot of speed work because they're already fast. So they spend all their time working on weaknesses when in fact it's their, their strength that's going to get them injured. It's the fact that they can run fast that is going to be their undoing. So that's a big focus of mine to make sure that our, our fast athletes actually run fast at appropriate times. But the second part of it is doing a lot of drills both in the gym, on the field, in warm-ups, whatever you want to call it, um, in exposing these boys to just really nice positions, good hip positions, good acceleration positions, good change of direction positions, making sure that we're not necessarily adding all this speed to them but we're making sure that they can actually harness the speed they already have and keep them out there for longer because at the end of the day hamstrings groins all those type of things hips 
even down to knee injuries, if they're just not dissipating the force and they're not utilising that speed the way they, they could or should, then that's what's going to be the dangerous part. So I certainly don't see myself as some speed coach that comes in and turns a whole group into a super fast team. I like to think that I can bring a lot of the philosophies of the, uh, the purists and, um, and make sure that we can apply it to team sport and, and get these guys moving better to dissipate and utilise their speed, but also just exposing them to the speed they already have. Perfect. Superb. Well, I'm going to drop something on you now that I didn't, um, that I forgot to ask you, and I, I always forget to ask people, and that's regards to books. Is there any books out there that you're reading at the minute or have read in the past that have had a real influence on your career, on how you think, on the relationships you've built, on communication, whatever it may be? A couple of books to, re- to recommend people read. Yes, yeah, certainly, mate. It's. Um... Yeah, look, the, books has definitely been something that's, um, yeah, it's at the end of the day, everyone's got to find time to read. Um, and, and I love my reading. I've certainly read quite a, a vast supply and very different types of books. And it's funny, being in the mentorship that I'm running at the moment, a lot of people do ask about books and it's probably forced me to to really think what are the books that have probably influenced me the most. Um, and and some of the ones that are big ones for me, like the, the two books by David Joyce, I obviously can't go past them because they're... They're a, they're a great uh, encyclopedia, really, of, of knowledge from um, many a coaches that have really had um, an impact in their niche areas. So I think that's a really great one, especially for young coaches to get a broad understanding of everything. Um, one of the books that I read um, early days that I really actually loved um, was by Alistair McCaw, The Seven Keys to Being a Great Coach. I actually really enjoyed that book. I thought it had a lot of good takeaways in it. Um, a couple of ones that have probably influenced me from a, uh, a speed, an athletic point of view would have been athletic development uh, by Vern Gambetta. Um, another one would be the, the What We Need Is Speed by Hank Cranoff. Or I kind of, I'm not going to bastardize his last name. Um, <laughs> But it's a, it's a difficult one. But then a couple of like, a couple of your greats of your stand, science and practice of strength training um, is is always something that sits in my library that I look at. Um, Explosive running by Yeesus. There's got a few books that I really enjoy by Yeesus and everything that he's written. Um, I'm a big fan of. Uh, probably one that's probably not as common to some of the people that I probably didn't realise how much it influenced me. And I have now that I've been talking to a lot of the young coaches in, in my mentorship program is, is Anatomy Trains by Thomas Myers. Um, that, that was one of the books when I was young, gave me a really good understanding of, of how these fascial links work together. And, and you see them come up time and time again in, in a lot of track and field um, examples of hip positioning and, and unilateral or ipsilateral usages of leg and glute, lat and glute, adductor and glute, adductor and hip flexor, and seeing these relationships relationships of, of co-contractions. Um, I think that's probably one that people, I, I don't know, I'm going to say don't talk about enough, but then again, maybe they do talk about it and I just haven't been listening. But um, yeah, I think that's one, Anatomy Trains is one that I probably haven't heard mentioned a lot. And I think for, for young coaches out there, that's probably a really good one to, to, to look at. Perfect. So just to round up. Okay, that, that gives you a little bit. Absolutely. Of- I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Potentially eight books. So superb. Thank you very much for that. Um, anyone that wants to get in touch with you, I know you're a busy guy, but once every two weeks, that inbox has to be uh, ready to roll for you to reply to <laughs> yeah. it. So if anyone, wants, if anyone wants to reach yes. out, what's the best place for uh, people to get to know you and, and have a little chat? 
Yeah, mate, I'm, um, I'm on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but realistically, Instagram's probably the best place. That's probably where I, um, I'm most active. I'm just at Performance Coach Wilmot. So that'll be at Performance Coach underscore Wilmot um, if they're interested. That's probably the best way to, to contact me. Um, and yeah, I'll, uh, I'll always get back to you, but um, I try and keep it on a, a little two week cycle each time. <laughs> yeah, no worries. So 1L, so 1T in Wilmot. Correct, mate. Yeah, a lot of people like to put double L, double T. So W-I-L-M-O-T, correct. Perfect. Well, really appreciate your time, mate, and thanks for coming on for a part two. And I'll uh, I'll let you get back to you Friday uh, Mate, thank you very much for having me. I love it. Nah, no. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much, mate. Enjoy the weekend. Mate. Thanks, pal. You too. Appreciate it. See you, mate. See you, mate. Thanks for tuning in to episode 185 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Lacken for giving up his time for a part two. And make sure you uh, you do check out part one, because I know it was referenced quite a lot in this episode. So I'll put a link to that uh, on the tweets that go out and on the website, so you can uh, get that easily. So also, big thanks to Val Performance, to Force Dex, and to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. Got some really cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks, hopefully, as always. Um, But thank you again for your continued support. Hope you enjoyed this episode and hope you're enjoying uh, all previous episodes that have come before it. So again, thanks for your support and I'll chat to you in episode 186.